Hey guys, it's Jesse. So here's the deal. COVID-19, it is impacting all of us. And initially we had not intended to do any special episodes about it, but we actually had a listener write us and talk to us about how much COVID-19 is impacting them as a recovering addict. And they suggested, what if you all covered past topics that you've covered before, but you talk about how COVID-19 and this pandemic have impacted those specific areas. And so producer Rachel Zabo has gone out and interviewed a variety of experts. And so these next episodes of the LTN podcast, they are going to be about how COVID-19 has impacted social justice, mental health, pornography, abortion. So what you're going to hear is a series of conversations uh, where Rachel shares what she has uncovered in her interviews. Stay with us. Okay, so Rachel, you've gone around and you've talked to a bunch of different experts about how COVID-19 has impacted very specific areas of topics that we have explored before on the podcast. Yep. What topic should we start with? Yeah, so I really wanted to start with the topic of social justice. This conversation in particular, there's like a million different ways you could approach it. Yeah. And so let me I guess let me just say this from the onset. Like if you're somebody that's kind of turned off by the phrase social justice, I I would encourage you to go back and listen to our episode on where the gospel meets social justice and be open to the idea that maybe we mean it slightly different or a lot different than what media news outlets are saying. Yeah. So to talk about the impacts that the pandemic is having on social justice, I talked to our friend Sky Jatani. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all these conversations I've been having around the pandemic with these different areas or different ministries, honestly, they've been challenging to report on. But this conversation in particular was one of the most encouraging conversations about this pandemic I think I've had yet. Oh, well, that makes me really excited to hear this. Okay. Yeah. So I think the first thing that we need to consider is, you know, what areas of social justice are being most impacted by COVID-19. And so here's what Sky had to say. Our strengths and weaknesses, both as the church and as a society, are being accentuated in this crisis. And we've seen reporting from around the country where Mortality rates among minorities, particularly African-Americans, is much higher. We've seen that mortality rates among the poor are much higher. Uh, That's a reflection of the fact that healthcare overall in this country is not equally dispersed or accessible to the poor and to minorities. So the COVID-19 pandemic is taking what were background injustices and bringing them to the foreground. So here's some stats that I got from NPR. Uh, New York City officials said that Black and Latino residents were dying at twice the rate of white people. So that means that for every... For every one white person that died, two African-American or Latino people died. I mean, that is a really disproportionate number. I mean, like, 
shockingly high. Yeah. And then in Chicago, more than 70 percent of virus-related fatalities were among African-Americans, which is a percentage that's more than doubled their share of the population. And is it is it more related to the medical care they re- that minorities have received or lack thereof? Or is it more related to lifelong complicated health issues? Is it sort of all of it? Right, yeah. So the general consensus is not so much that, you know, minorities are more biologically predisposed to this virus, but that it's minorities tend to live in densely populated urban areas. Yeah, Yeah. you know, it makes me think of uh, something I read online from a guy that was from India. And he talked about how hard this particular pandemic is for people who are poor, because he said, you know, it's wealthy people that get on planes and fly continent to continent, and that wealthy people are the ones that spread this disease around the world. But then he said it makes its way into impoverished communities. And then the solution that's given is that you should socially distance, which is not possible when you live in, you know, high density areas, that you should work from home. That's assuming that you have a job that technologically, you know, can do that, uh, a job that warrants that type of work. And then if you become sick, that you should go and get treatment. And that's assuming that you have, you know, access to health care that would even allow you to get tested or treated. Uh, again, from that same NPR article that I was referencing, the people most at risk tend to live in crowded quarters and take public transit to jobs deemed essential or impossible to do from home. Right. Yeah. But as I was talking to this guy, though, our conversation didn't go in the direction of, like, what should we do about this necessarily? It went more in the direction of, okay, how are Christians responding to that? Like, what do Christians think about all of these disparities that are being brought forth in the news? What I've seen so far, which is admittedly limited, is people are responding out of the posture that they were already preconditioned to respond out of. If there are Christians who have a social awareness, who recognize those dynamics in their faith, and they see these injustices, they, they're going to respond with lament and grief and a call for change. And then there's quite a few for whom it, it's a complete blind spot. They don't see it at all, and it just doesn't factor into their faith. And it, I think it's a minority, but there are those voices out there who are simply wanting to know, when can we get back to normal? When can I worship in my church again? When can we have large gatherings and go back to the way it used to be? So I feel like he's kind of getting at this thing that I've seen erupt like on, in my social media over the last week and a half in particular, which is essentially to really make it more simple than it is. But you've got sort of a crowd that is like, we really need to be thinking about other people uh, and we really need to be thinking about how we're going to take care of other people. And then there's like a second crowd that is more about, yes, we need to be thinking about other people, but our rights, our individual rights are being trampled on because our governors are telling us to do things that they should not be allowed to tell us to do and that we should be able to make our own choice. Did you hear about um, in the news, there was a church in Kentucky that is suing our governor, Governor Andy Beshear. Yeah, Yeah, Uh Maryville Baptist is suing the governor because... You know, he was asking everyone to not gather publicly for Easter Sunday, which was a very hard thing not to do because it's like the best, the greatest Sunday of the year, you know, for us as Christians. So this church is is suing the governor because they said he is violating their religious freedom. Right. So it seems like there's like a camp that's like preoccupied with 
their rights. And then there's a camp that's like, I don't even care about my rights. It's all about my neighbor. And it's like these two crowds are really talking past each other. Is it about my personal rights or is it about what's best for my neighbor? And what do we do when there are those moments where those two things are not compatible? Right. And I think if you're talking about online, what you're seeing is like the two extreme ends of those ideologies about like being all about your neighbor or being all about my rights. And Sky actually had something to say about these two extremes. One extreme is what you see in a lot of American values, which is a hyper-individualism that says, you know, each person will reap what they sow. I am an island unto myself. I will be judged by God for my actions alone. I'm not connected with anyone else. The other extreme is to go full tilt on the collectivist view, which is the individual has no autonomous value apart from their, their role within a larger society. And when you really look at these dynamics in scripture, The Bible avoids both of those mistakes. It both affirms our collective identity. Even the Lord's prayer is all collective language. Our Father, forgive us this day our sins. You know, give us this day our daily bread. It's all communal language. But at the same time, Scripture affirms the value and dignity of the autonomous individual. You know, this started as a conversation about social justice in terms of, like, disparities in resources. Yeah. But now it's, like, shifted into... When we talk about social justice, we're getting down to the the very basic, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Here's what's a little bit fascinating too, right? So a lot of this conversation in terms of like hyper-individualism versus collectivism or personal rights versus what's best for my neighbor, when the issue of abortion comes up, those that would be uh, hyper-pro-choice would say, my individual rights decide what I get to do. And Christians yell, no, it's what's best for your neighbor. And in this case, that neighbor is is that child. Mm -hmm. But then now when it's flipped to this broader context in this COVID-19 context, you know, and I understand that like there are nuances to this, but still it's like a lot of folks are playing from the same playbook as the pro-choice movement. Yeah. And it's like really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we talk about this on our podcast all the time, but there's this like both and that actually takes place, you know, in our podcast, we talk a lot about like grace and truth. Right. And how like Jesus displays both and we should have both. And I think this is a similar context where it's like a certain degree of living for my neighbor and a certain degree of I am an individual. There's like a balance. The problem is the way we have come to define individualism in the United States is largely personal autonomy where it's more than just the value of the individual, it is celebrating the individual who breaks off from any communal responsibility for the people around them. Individualism is a value you find in scripture, but it's not hyper-autonomy. That's where we go off the rails a bit. And that's being put to the test right now because a virus thrives biologically because we are an interdependent species. Yeah, I'm really glad to use the word interdependence because I feel like so often we fixate on wanting independence, but by God's design, we're designed to be interdependent. Yeah, so this made me think of there's a verse in 1 Corinthians that I thought of as I was talking about this with Sky, where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And I feel like that really applies here. Like, yes, I have rights. Yes, I'm allowed to do anything I want. 
but is that what's best for everyone around me? Mm, yeah. Am, am I allowed to do this? And should I do this are two different questions. Should I be allowed to do this? And should I do this? So I guess there's a question of like, how much energy do we spend on each question? Like if we spend a lot of our energy on this question of should I be allowed to do this? Is it possible that that could be a distraction from should I do this? I don't know. Well, if you're not allowed to in the first place, you're not going to think about if you should or not because you're not allowed to. Well, I you guess. don't know my sinful well, nature. Well, some people. Yeah, some people. <laughs> you underestimate me. It's true. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, maybe that'll make you think about it more. Yeah. So I asked Sky, you know, then what does it look like for us to love our neighbor in a time like this? Um, and he had two really helpful scriptures to point to, and I thought this was really fascinating. The first is from the Old Testament in a chapter that I would encourage everybody who cares about these issues to read and reflect on, and that's Isaiah 58. In that chapter, the Lord is chastising his people for the way they worship, the way they practice their fasting and their religious ceremonies and rituals. And, and essentially what he says is, you're, you're all about yourself in your worship. You're all about your piety and praise of me and things, and you give no regard for the poor, for the oppressed, for the people around you who are suffering. And it's a profound chapter because it links personal devotion and worship with social justice. Right now, there are Christians who are thinking about, well, when do I get to worship again? When does my community get to convene again? When can we go back to the way we used to do things on our weekend services? And you can't divorce the two. We have to be thinking about what is best for our neighbors, what are best for the poor around us, what's best for those who are vulnerable to this illness, the elderly and the uh, immune compromised, and factor that into our worship. And so one of the ways we actually worship God right now, ironically, is by not gathering and worshiping God. What he's getting at is this idea of the way that Scripture interplays justice and righteousness, that if we only think of social justice in terms of like activism, that that's it's too narrow of a view. Like we have to think of social justice in terms of, yes, it is activism, but it is also just goodness and righteousness. Like that's equally a part of that picture. Like, yeah. I love when he said the way we worship God right now is by not gathering to worship God. Yeah. So part of what Sky's getting at and part of what you're getting at is by social distancing, by wearing masks, by being very selective with the way that we socialize in an effort to not spread COVID-19, that is social justice. Yes. But that's hard, right? Like, it's hard because it's, it's, we're also called to gather together to worship, but. Yeah, well, and it's hard because you're giving up something. You're giving up something that you love. Yeah. And that's a sacrifice, yeah. and sacrifices are painful. Yeah. So if you remember, I said that this conversation was really encouraging, um, and it may seem like it's not been encouraging so far, but actually the, the next scripture that Sky referenced was really where he just like sort of cast this vision for what the church could be as we continue to move through this pandemic. The second text that comes to mind is in the Gospels where Jesus has his upper room discourse in John's Gospel. This is the the final lengthy teaching he gives to his disciples before uh, he's arrested and crucified. And if you recall, he says to them, uh, it's better that I leave. It's better that I'm not with you because then the Holy Spirit will come 
and will lead you into all truth and, and empower you. And he gives all these wonderful teachings about the role of the spirit in our lives. And I think it's an interesting parallel for where we are as a church and where we are as individuals, where we want to be physically present with our neighbors or with people that we want to help. And we can't right now, but in a way there can be something better though. We can't be physically present with them to help. There are things that we have been equipped with as Christians to help them. So one of those specific things uh, that he went on to talk about was just prayer and just how much we undermine the use of prayer. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, like we're Americans and we like to be productive. I mean, we're all about getting it done. You know what I mean? But like this season, this pandemic is forcing us to kind of like step back and we're all saying, like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Yeah, like we're very action oriented. Right. When it's almost like we're being forced to the only thing we can do is tap into, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and pray for what's happening. Pray for people. Pray for, you know, whatever, our family, our neighbors, our church. I think what's difficult about what you're saying, though, is that we have a particular idea of what the Christian life should look like. And with church being cut out of that and meeting together being cut out of that, I think it becomes really hard to have an idea of, like, what does it mean to live Christianly now that that has been chopped out? This season is forcing us to think beyond our our boxes and think beyond what we're used to and maybe see God work in ways that we're not used to. You know, I'm sure like when Jesus was on the earth and the disciples were with him and he was like, I'm going to go away. They probably were like, well, what's that? What are we going to do? Like, what's that going to look like when you're gone? Yeah. 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 Like, how do you how could they have even envisioned what was to come? Because he was the Messiah. Right. He was ushering in the kingdom of God. And he's like, by the way, I'm about to peace out. Yeah. So we have to kind of broaden our imagination the way Jesus was trying to broaden the imagination of his disciples with a radical statement like me not being physically present with you is actually better, but you have to understand why. God has given us resources that are not of this world that can bless and serve others. We just as a church needs to take up those tools that are right in front of us. And here's the thing too, right, is the whole point of this is not so we can see justice come across all of society, although that's great and something that we should strive towards. But you know, one of the things that Sky went on to talk about was that ultimately this is because there are souls at stake and we should be making disciples no matter what context we're living in. There is a grace of God in this trial. There, It reminds me of Acts 8. If you recall, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus appears to his disciples and he gives them their mission, go and make disciples of all nations and, you know, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills them in chapter two, and then they just hunker down and stay in Jerusalem. And the church grows in Jerusalem, but they don't move beyond Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter eight, a severe persecution comes upon the church and the disciples scatter and they go into all new parts and the gospel spreads as a result of that. And that's kind of what I think is happening right now. We we didn't ask for this. We, nobody wants this. Nobody wants persecution. Nobody wants a pandemic. But it might be the chaotic moment that pushes the church into an obedience that it hadn't been engaging in before. And that's usually what trials and crises do. I mean, we see this throughout the Bible that 
God uses trials to reveal what's in us. He did this with Abraham. James says we should consider it, you know, joy when trials, when we face trials, because it reveals, it's a testing of our faith and it reveals it. And that's what's happening right now. I'm not sure we're happy about it, but it is revealing. That's for sure. Yeah, I like that. Like, because it is true. Like when pressure comes and starts pushing down on us, like the truth comes out. The other thing that kind of happens too, though, in moments where there's this much pressure is that innovation happens. All this pressure comes on us. We go, I need to do a total mind shift on how I'm thinking about this. And in sort of this realignment of a new vision, which makes me think about, you know, God is always doing something new. It's like God is inviting us into this new thing that he's doing. You know, during my conversation with Sky, I was thinking about the sermon series that we just did at church. We did like a four or five part series about like the pandemic and like, you know, the effects of it and like, how do we handle it and things like that. And they call the sermon series was called This Incredible Opportunity. Right. Yeah. And I remember being like come on, you're like, this is like total like carpe diem. Like, I don't want to seize this day. I want to watch Netflix and be sad because this sucks. But after talking with Sky and him like casting that vision of like that innovation and like this could really be a catalyst to move the church forward. I was like, oh, this really is an incredible opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think the question is, you know, once things quote unquote, go back to normal, are we going to do things the way we've always done them? Or are we going to have learned something from this innovation and begin to do things in a new way? Yeah. And I don't know. We'll, (laughs) We'll find out. Hey, special thanks to our friend Sky Jatani. You can hear more from Sky and more about the topic of social justice in the gospel on episode number 20, where the gospel meets social justice. You can find this and all of our episodes at lovethyneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. <laughs> <laughs>